I would not feel right if I didn't give this testimony. During the week, um, one of my daughters went into the hospital. She was vomiting blood. And when they called me, I just went frantic. I was crying. I'm very, very upset. But it was, I think it's Wednesday. And Wednesday night, I normally go on the prayer group. But Wednesday night, I didn't want to go on the prayer group. And something said to me, this is when you have to go on the prayer group. And I knew it was the voice of God. And I went on to, to the prayer group and we prayed. I told them and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And I just want to tell everyone, I am so grateful and feel so honored that I have found the master, King Jesus, because Thursday, my daughter came out of hospital. I spoke to her yesterday. I prayed for her. She feels really great. And I just want you lot to continue to pray for me and my family that we will turn our eyes to Jesus and look full in his wonderful face because he created us. And believe me, if you haven't got God, you are just haven't got anything. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Um, what a powerful testimony. Thank you so much, Auntie Mary, that uh, you put the, uh, the uh, relevance, relevance of, of family and also how our God, our Father, is always dealing for us in every of our situation that we go in. One more testimony, please. Come forward. Share with us what God has done for you so that we can be encouraged as well. 
One more testimony. So God has not done anything for you in this week. <laughs> just one short, just a small one. Don't be shy. I just want to thank the Lord for um, the strength that he always provides um, in time of challenge. Um, it has been a bit of a challenging um, week for me um, in quite a few aspects. However, um, I found courage in the word of God um, because I have realized that what he says, he does. And I have also um, made that resolution to say, Lord, let me not focus on what is hurting the most, but let me focus on what you're able to do for me. Mm. And I have tried my best each time when I am challenged to say, Lord, I know you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. And he has seen me through a lot. And I look back at what he has done for me in the past and I find courage. And I'm just saying to anybody who is having a challenge, any particular challenge to look up to the hills where our help comes from. And the Lord who is always there for us will never ever leave us alone. So this has been uh, um, you know, my strength for the week. And I just want to encourage each one of you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much, Auntie Grace. Uh, it's, what you say is just in tune with what we are studying. God promises. God everlasting covenant with us. And um, I just want to thank you so much for this testimony. And I would like also to ask you if you can pray to close all this testimony and thank God for what he's doing in our life and what he will do. Let us pray. Our kind and loving Father who art in heaven, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the reminder, oh God, that your promises are always true. Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you always remind us, dear God, that you, oh God, are not a man that you should lie. You're not a son of man that you should repent. Father, help us, help us in our unbelief that, dear God, we will hold fast to your promises, oh dear Father. Help us, dear God, to always remember not to fear because you have promised that you'll be with us all the time, dear God. And as we learn, as we share today, dear God, may we find strength in you, oh Father. May we find you in everything we do, Lord. Help us, dear God, that where we falter, dear God, that we will always be reminded that the Holy Spirit will always speak to us with that soft, clear voice, dear God, and remind us not to turn to the left, not to turn to the right, dear God, that we stick to the road and the path that you have put us in, oh Lord. Help us now, dear Father, and be with those who will be leading the, um, the lessons as well. Father, I pray that you give them wisdom and the right words as we share today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Auntie Grace. And as we go to the summer school, I would just like to leave you with these two verses. Uh, one is found in Luke 
chapter 20, verse 38, they say, For he is not a God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. And the next verse is found in Acts 7, chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let us remember that God is our creator and we are made at his own image. Amen. So there will be again the son of meditation, then we will go to the Sabbath school. Just gone by 
Happy Sabbath, everybody. This is the time that we have to dismiss ourselves to our uh, respective uh, Sabbath school classes. Uh, just a reminder that uh, Basildon will be on the main screen. So people who are participating in Basildon uh, Sabbath School Forum, please turn on your video so that it will be very uh, uh, appropriate uh, for us to expose ourselves for the viewers. Uh, Elder Emeka will take that uh, class. Then Braintree will be taken by Brother Tiago. Uh, then Malden will be taken by Sister Chipama. Then uh, I myself will take for uh, Chelmsworth. Please, as usual, uh, choose a spokesperson so they will bring up with a point and um, we will have a very blessed uh, class. And this is your time to break out to yourself for our uh, classes. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Sabbath. You're going, you're, going, you're going live very soon and you're going to be on YouTube, so please behave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're welcome, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, I believe we've had a lovely week and um, it's uh, a new quarter, the first lesson, and we're talking about God's covenant, the covenant. What is covenant? What is covenant? Promise. Promise, an agreement between two parties. This is an agreement between us and God. So before we begin, let us have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come before your presence again today to worship you and to learn more from your words. Today we want to learn about the covenant that you have for us. And where we are right now, Lord, we pray that your, your um, understanding of your of the lesson of today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to use this opportunity to welcome all of you who are watching live as well. This is the Basildon Church of the United Kingdom, and today is the 3rd of April, 2021. Um, the, this quarter, second quarter, is entitled The Covenant. And the first lesson uh, for today is what happened, what happened. And this lesson is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And it says, then God said, let us make man who um, humankind in our image according to our likeness. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Amen. And today, I've, uh, our lesson, I've asked um, a few people to help summarizing uh, our lesson. So I've requested Sister Sandra, Sister Viola, Sister Rhoda, and Sister Joyce to help with um, 
the um, week's lesson. So when it's time, they will come in to uh, do the summary. Um, may I also ask that um, somebody prepared to represent us when we go back to just give a summary in one point or in one minute of you know what we have studied when we return to the main um, uh, uh, the church group. So, uh, as we continue, please think about it, and we'll come back to that. All right. Um, we know about the story of creation. The biblical account was given in Genesis chapter one, verse one. I'm just going to read the introduction here. And you know where it begins to say that the world was filled with hope when it was created, it was filled with happiness and perfection. And each day of, of the creation, it ended with a pronunciation, divine pronunciation from God that says that it was good. And this goodness certainly didn't include typhoons and earthquakes and, and famine and diseases that we have today. So what happened? You know, the six days of creation ended with the divine pronouncement that it was very good. That is because that day the Lord created beings in his own image, humans, something he had not done with anything else in the Genesis account. Of course, these beings were perfect in every way. They'd been, they had, they had, they had to be. After all, they were made in the image of God. Thus, of sheer necessity, did they not include murderers, thieves, liars, swindlers, and vile in their ranks? So what happened? In this week's study, we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about origins. What kind of relationship did God want with humanity? What was the purpose of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What hope was given to Adam and Eve immediately after they fell? So I don't know about you, you know, but we were made perfect in the image of God and sin came into this world. We have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. But he put something in place. So how have you been reacting to that system to that uh, thing that God put in place? How have you been responding to it? Uh, first of all, we need to know why he created us, how we came to be, and what is the purpose that we have on this earth. You know, the Sunday lesson begins in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, and gives an illustration here of a scientist who had lectured on how the orbits the planets um, went around the sun and the solar system and things like that. And there was an elderly woman who was in the class who was trying to explain that, you know, that the earth was, was um, um, made from a flat disk sitting on black turtle, um, on the back of turtles. And so the man said to her, so if that is the case, that that's turtle that was sitting on. What was it the turtle sitting on? He said, yes, and another turtle. He said, well, how, what that, that sec, second turtle, where was he sitting? He said, on another one. 
So even before the man could say anything, say, don't even bother to ask, because it's total all the way down. You know, this is some of the explanation that some people have about how the world was made and what, how it came to be. Some believe that it is round, some believe it is flat, some believe that it's spherical, and some, uh, like most uh, scientists like we've had, said it came as a bang. But how, as Christians, do we believe that this world came to be? There are three questions that we need to ask ourselves. And these three, three questions are, um, what is the purpose, um, or how did we come to become, how did we get here in the first place? Sister Rhoda, how did you get here? And Elizabeth, how did you get here? You just found yourself, you know, uh, as far back as I remember, I just remember that I had, I had a mom who was looking after me. And when I asked, you know, about my dad, my dad wasn't, you know, was, was, uh, was somewhere uh, around. And I remember that at some point, my father was not there anymore. Uh, I was told he's traveled to, to a foreign country and that he's coming back very soon. And then the next thing I knew, I was going to school, and before I knew it, I had become a man, and now I have children. <laughs> but the next thing is, how did you get here? Why are you here? And where are we going? What is the purpose of our being here? As we look at the origin of the universe, as we look at the origin of the universe, these are the three questions that I need, we need to answer. The first one is found in Genesis 1 verse 1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, you know, we know that account. But does it, it doesn't give us any clue about where God came from, his existence. It wasn't explained at all. We don't know where God came from. The Bible doesn't say but well, because we're Christians, we believe and have the faith that God created these things out of nothing. And the word that says God created, that word creation is a Hebrew word, bara. And that word is used in, 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 in Hebrew in relation to God being the subject. And there, it relates to God's ability of being able to create something out of nothing. And this is what happened. You know, said the, 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 the earth was, um, was um, empty, no, not, nothing in it. And then he said, let there be this, the first day, and it came, there was light, and then he separated the light from darkness, and then the water came, and separated the firmament, and, and things like that. This is the Bible account of how the world was created. It says in the beginning, God created divine this is divine creativity, divine act activity of God being a creator. It is in con it's a contrast between atheism, you know, creating alone in contrast to polytheism, which rules over creation in contrast to pantheism. This matters um, had a beginning in the, uh, as a contrast with materialism as well. How do, do uh, science, science uh, explain how the world was created? They said it just happened, um, there was a big bang and um, everything fell into place, but 
from from human experience, from the little life that I've lived in this world, I, I haven't seen any order coming out of uh, out of uh, a chaos. You know, you can't have something explode and then all of a sudden things fall in place. It doesn't work like that. You know, um, this is how we had we got here. God intended for us to be here. He created us in His image. Because he wanted us to have a relationship with him. This world came along with us and, uh, and everything that was made. The trees that we see, the fishes in the sea, the birds that fly in the air, was because God created them and he wanted us to be a part of it. So why are you here? Does life have a purpose besides just survival? Does it, does it have a life besides procreation? or besides the search for endless wealth, happiness, development, or influence, or wisdom? What is the purpose for life? Why are you here on this earth? We are here because, one, God wants to live in a relationship with us, according to Psalms 100, verse 3. I see a hand there, Brother Austin. I'll get to you um, shortly. We are here to bring glory to God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. We are not here to get rich or to please ourselves, but to bring glory to God. We are here also to love one another, according to John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new covenant, he says, I give you that you have love one for another. We are also here to be God's witnesses. We are here to live and walk in unity. We are here to bear fruits for God's glory. We are here to make disciples for God according to Psalms, uh, according to Matthew chapter 28. And where are we going from here? Where are we going? God preparing a place for us. He wants us to be with him. He created us and we, 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 we disobeyed and we fell. His ultimate goal is to rebuild that relationship that he made and for us to, to, to live with him um, eternally and to spend that time with him. Brother Austin? Austin? Okay, happy Sabbath everyone. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, I was just listening to, to your explanation earlier, earlier about what science teaches. Mm -hmm. You know, as a as as one was being an earnest student of science. For years, Is it possible to put your video on? Oh, sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Thank yes, as, as I was saying, um, as one who has been an earnest student of science for years, mm. um, I, 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 do, I do have some vested interest in science, um, yeah, because I also have to be a teacher of science. science yeah, I, 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 I hear you saying that, and I'm not saying you are wrong, it, it is just unfortunate that when when something has become the status quo 
um, then, as it were, the definition of science gets changed. Um, but as you explain what science teaches, unfortunately, um, that's not authentic science. Mm. Um, that is pseudoscience. Um, even our dear um, late sister, E.G. White, she was a strong proponent of authentic science. So there is a authentic science. And, um, and as we speak, um, there, are, there are genuine Christian scientists who are alive. And they are not proponents of a Big Bang, a Big Bang theory, per se, as opposed to the, the creationist um, principle. Um, so I, I just want to put this in because what happens is that the way this world keeps changing and, and the way principles keep being degraded, um, it is easy for us to forget that, okay, there is a real version of something. So there is authentic science. Unfortunately, um, the pseudoscience is being brought to the fore and being taught even in the classrooms. And, and the next generations, uh, they are becoming more vulnerable than us. Um, they, they are being set up for far less appreciation of, of creation than we were a few decades ago. So I just want to put that in, that we are up, we are up against the reality of authentic science versus pseudoscience. Amen. Thank you, brother, for that explanation. You know, as Christians, we have no, uh, we, we just have to believe that we were created in the image of God and that God put everything in place for us. Um, but probably if God has started explaining who he is and who, how he came to be, a, a, a be in existence, we will not understand it because we have finite understanding of who, of, of these things. So how, in what image of the Emeka, you know, were we created? How are we created in God's image, uh, Sister Sandra? Happy Sabbath, everyone. Uh, can you turn your phone to landscape if possible? Um, Just rotate, rotate yeah. Yes, that's it. Is that better? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Sabbath. So, um, Monday, the title is In the Image of the Maker. And then the lesson study starts off with three um, important questions as we explore um, the study. What does it mean to be in his own image? Did God make anything else in his own image other than the human race? What else sets the human race apart from the other creation that God created? So as we ponder on those three questions, there are, three, there are two verses that I would like to point us to, to, um, to look at. The very first one is Genesis 1 and 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, created he, him, male and female, created he, them. Um, Genesis um, chapter 2 verse 7 and the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So what do these two verses help and collect responses or answers to the three questions that have been raised? 
the study goes further to explain that by being created in the image of God, we possess the physical, the mental, and spiritual nature that reflect the image of God. The spiritual and mental nature helps us develop and improve. It's these that make it possible to nourish our relationship with God. In other words, no other creation has got the ability to do so other than the human race. So that sets us apart from other creation that God created. And when he says, what does it mean to be in his own image? It is the physical, the mental, and the spiritual nature. Just like it's mentioned in verse 27 of chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image he created him, male and female. So both. So what is the distinction between man and woman and what are their roles though they've been created in the image of God. The lesson further explores that woman Eve was created from, to, from the rib of Adam. But what does it really mean to be created from the rib or he got Adam's rib and created woman? Does it make Eve lesser than Adam? Does it make Adam to be controlled by Eve? However, what this, what this signifies is that Eve to be created from the rib and called a helper signifies love and empathy. For these two special creations, man and woman that God created in his own image. The woman is not to control the man and neither is a man meant to trample over his woman under his feet, but with a collective effort supporting one another through love and empathy, they can make it possible to nourish the spiritual and mental well-being to improve their relationship with God. Thank you. Okay, thank you, sister. Um, as we, as we, as we go through the le these lessons, I, I want us to have at the back of our mind that the theme of this, of this um, quarter is covenant, covenant relationship, covenant agreement with God. Every time this comes through, let us reflect and relate it to the covenant God wants with us. You know, I like the line that says, These, uh, it is the uniqueness of the human mind that makes possible a nourishing relationship with God something the rest of God's earthly creation seems unable to do. Relationship. We are created in the image of God. But the question is, whose image are you seeking to become? Is it the one of a celebrity, of a football icon? Is it the one of a Hollywood star? Or is it truly the image of God that he made us to be? His character, you know, being a, a spiritual being, are we are we seeking to become uh, being in, in, in spirit in, in spirit with him? Are we seeking to become um, a spiritual beings instead of being carnal and, and worldly? This is the question that we need to ask ourselves. But um, the next lesson talks about him, um, God, and uh, humankind together. What? Is this trying to uh, say to us here, Sister Viola? 
Okay, the key text is from Genesis 1, 28 and 29. And it says, and God blessed them. And God had said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in thee, which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for our meat. And in these early scenes of creation, God set out, uh, you know, Sister Sandra talked about the physical, the mental, and the spiritual aspects of uh, our creation as human beings in the image of God. Uh, our, our duty or our focus is one of co-laboring with God. God created us so that he can have that relationship with us. He could, have, he, could, he could have created it and he could have managed it all by himself. He would still be God. But he chose to manage it with us. That I've created, He created for his own pleasure. He just wanted to delight himself. He just created. But what fun is there when you are by yourself? Alone is not nice at all. So God said, come, let's do this together. And he gave us the dominion. He gave us So the things that God created for us, the material world, let me break it down. It's for our own pleasure to delight us, you know, for us to enjoy, not to make us a mini God or to make uh, us far more important than the one who blessed us with it. It says there that uh, God blessed Adam and Eve in verse 28. Uh, 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 and in, in blessing, he wants us to be able to enjoy, to control. God doesn't want... It, when he created us, he didn't, he didn't create us to be mediocres. He gave us dominion over those things. He gave us the mastery, the power to master, to subdue it, to be on top of it, if I can put it that way. So in our physical health, in our spiritual being, in our mental state, God wants us to have dominion. And that's why he gave us the choice. You choose. Choose what you want to do. Choose how you want to be. Choose which way you want to go. He gave us that freedom, that free hand to be able to do it. And in addition to that, he gave us the blueprint in your choosing, choose understanding, choose wisdom. Yes, I've given you the opportunity to do it, but choose that which is right. The co-laboring aspect of it calls for us to be able to use that physical, that mental, and that spiritual faculties. We can't do it on our own. We can't just say, oh, I'm just going to use my intellectual knowledge to do this. We'll get it wrong because we won't be on the same page. God wants the totality of us to be able to take dominion, take mastery of that which he has given us. In that kind of relationship that God is asking us, uh, God is asking us to, he wants us to acknowledge that he's sovereign. He's given it to us so that we can work with him to make, to make it work, if I can use that phrase. But he also wants us to acknowledge that you can't do this on your own. I'm the one that's giving you the power to be able to do this as the sovereign Lord. And it's a privilege for us to be able to do that. If we choose not to do it, it's at our own loss. He will still be God anyway. He still remains God. So he's given us that privilege and the joy should be ours to obey willingly because this is the end from the beginning. And he knows exactly where we are going. 
God addressed Adam and Eve as intelligent beings. He didn't put us down. He addressed us as intelligent beings who could respond to his kindness and enter into communion with him. The only way that we can enter into that communion is to first agree with him, believe the gospel, repent of the sin nature that our arch enemy has given us by virtue of disobeying God. Repent of that, believe the gospel, believe every word, every good news that the Lord has given us in this covenant relationship. It is only on that level that we can now begin to work with him. Two can only work except they agree, Amos 3.3. 3. If we don't agree with him, we would always choose to go the other way, which is not uh, in our own best interest. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. <laughs> okay, thank you. It says here, God has asked them to be masters over his wonderful creation that he himself has made. How does he want us to do this? You know, um, I was imagining having to build a house, furnish it, put everything in place, and then invite the two newly married couple to, you know, give, the, give it to them as a gift and said, this is the house for you. This is where, this is, this is how you need to turn the water on. This is how you need to turn the electric off. This is, this is how to put on the TV. This is how to control the heating system. This is how, how you know, how to open and lock the door. This is how, how the alarm system works. And, okay, we have that uh, covenant, we have that um, agreement and understanding. It is their choice to do as I've instructed and live at peace in that place. They're going to have children there, their children will grow up there. It is for them to instruct the children as well to follow the same instruction that I've given them so that they can live in that house. But then, what, it is their choice if they decide to leave the gas on it is their choice to decide to leave the electric, electric on. It is their choice to keep the house clean. It is a manual that I've given them to keep that house. Imagine it's the same thing that God has given to us. Mm-hmm. And what happens, and I said, please, whatever happens, if these people knock on the door, don't open for them. Because this is, and this and this will happen. And somebody knocks on the door. And they, so what happened in the Garden of Eden at a tree that God instructed them not to touch, Sister Rhoda? At the tree. So the memory test uh, for today's lesson is found on Genesis 2, verse 16 uh, to 17. And it says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die okay so i found three points from uh wednesday that i want to share with you they actually stood out number one obedience obedience in its simplest form number two dependence dependence in its original form and number three love in its purest form so obedience so god gave us a tree um as a test of obedience and by disobeying Men did not value God. So men failed a simple test of obedience. He could have given a man a very long list of instructions. Elder Emeka, you were mentioning a, a, a book with all the instructions about this new home. 
God did not do that. He only gave us one simple instruction, just one. And you know what? There were many other trees in the garden that they could actually go to, but the only one that God asked them not to. And guess what? That's where they went. Um, when I looked at this, I thought um, of what Jesus said regarding the law in Matthew 22, verse 37. What does it say? It says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and with all thy mind. It's very simple, very, very simple instruction. And, you know, it, it just shows how God's instructions are not burdensome. They're not burdensome at all. Number two, dependence in its original form. So God gave man a choice. And God wanted men to be dependent on him by giving them that choice. You know, from the choices that we make, we actually can tell whether we, we are depending on God for sustenance or we're saying, you know what, I'm able, I can manage this on my own. As, as the children of today would say, I've got this, I can do this. So our choices would say a lot about the value we place on God in our lives. Number three, love in its purest form. God was basically saying, I love you by giving them a choice. Love can be easily expressed in an environment that is free. Because if God had actually pushed them to make a choice and told them, this is what I want you to do, or maybe um, there was no choice at all, would you say that is love? If you're in a relationship when you, where, where you are not free to express yourself, would you say that is love? We all know that successful relationships are based on mutual trust. Therefore, God chose a simple loyalty test. You may eat uh, from every tree, but this one belongs to me. Do not eat its fruits. So by calling, I actually took this from, uh, from our quarterly, and I loved it. It says, by calling Adam and Eve to obey his will, God was saying, I am your creator, and I've made you in my image. Your life is sustained by me. For by me, you live and move and have your being I have provided all things for your well-being and, and happiness and have established you as a ruler of this world under me. If you are willing to affirm this relationship with me because you love me, then I'll be your God and you'll be my children. And you can affirm this relationship and the trust implicit in it by simply obeying the specific command. The instruction, though simple, I think, it was a very dangerous instruction to give to a man where men cannot be trusted. We know there are some, some instructions we choose. I can't give this instruction to Nancy or I can't give this instruction to Sunny because I know how she's going to behave. Yeah? So it, in my own thinking, I'm thinking, why did God even put it there? Because men cannot be trusted. But you know what? Our God doesn't want us to function like robots. He wanted us to freely choose him. Our God is love. But in order for us to experience his love, we have to freely love him unconditionally. No, but doing so, we would have, have a relationship with God that is effective and long-lasting only if we freely choose to accept his will. Amen, amen. amen. I hope when you're referring to man, I hope you're referring to both man and woman. Amen. <laughs> Because if you look at it, it was the man who actually sinned. Because he was the one who was given the instruction. Yes. And who will, willfully disobeyed. Anyway, have we got somebody to, to um, 
<laughs> to represent us before I name names, including those who are hiding behind the screen. Anybody? Okay, Auntie, uh, yeah, my child will represent us. Okay, so we have come this far, and uh, the last part of it is uh, breaking the relationship. How did we break the relationship? Mm -hmm. We're talking about covenant here. So, Sister Joyce, how did we break that relationship? Um, the, uh, Thursday basically is uh, based on Genesis 3, verse 1 to 6, where we see how it all happened. Mm -hmm. you know, we see the cunningness and deceitfulness of the evil one um, in all this thing. So we see, uh, it begins uh, by describing how cunning this beast was. Mm. And also it had um, a beauty that as soon as he approached, he already knew what he wanted to do. Mm. He is the one who engaged Eve in the conversation. Mm. And uh, he said, did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree? Mm. Already that created a kind of doubt. Mm. You know, and Eve said, yeah, he said even to touch it, we shouldn't touch it. You know, and the devil said, oh, no, 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 no. It, it only means God doesn't want you to be wise like him, you know. And he lied around all that. Then uh, the woman is the one who said, he, he said we should not touch it lest we die. But this, this devil continued to confuse her. In the end, Eve thought she was doing the right thing when she eventually fell uh, for the, the fruit. But her husband who was there took it deliberately knowing that it was wrong. But the woman, the lesson emphasizes that the woman was deceived. She was seduced and deceived into sin. However, when their eyes were opened, a very sad thing had happened. They had lost, you know, the glory that they were created with, and they had lost immortality because um, the condition of the immortality was obedience. So when they disobeyed, behold, guilt set in and death came in. And the death also activated the covenant which was prepared before the foundation of time. We see in Revelation 13.8, uh, the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth that covenant, that covenant came to life because then they saw themselves naked and they ran to the tree to pluck leaves, which was a never go, a no go area to do that without the consent of the Lord. However, we see that Jesus now had to die, and at the minimum midday uh, the time that the Lord would call them, visit them, when he called them, they were already hiding and he knew that they had to confess with their mouths that we are hiding because we have, we are naked. You say, how did you know you are naked? You know, 
So the same God that called them is the same God that's still calling us today to come back to him. The Lord is calling us to this covenant. God always wants to dwell with us. And we find that even at the end, it's about us living with God, just like it was in the beginning. Unfortunately, this had to happen for us to get back to where we are. We thank God for the life and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in all this. God bless us all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. God created us for a purpose. Elder Mark, did you want to say something? Okay, yeah, go Um, on. I've just got a question. Yeah. Um, Satan used a disguise in the in the guise of a serpent. Mm-hmm. How come that uh, Satan, who was an angel of glory, why didn't he appear in his nat- in her uh, in his natural form? Was it was it to dis uh, to deceive? That's why he came as a as a serpent. Has anybody got a, a viewpoint on this? Yes, what I want to say something. Yeah. About I, I think I, I read something in, from the Spirit of Inspiration that says that um, uh, he, Satan came in the form of a serpent to attract yeah. Eve's attention. The snake, the serpent had never spoken before, before that time. So if he had appeared in the form of an angelic being, who knows, maybe all that time, the angels were coming down ministering to them, it would have been a familiar sight, possibly, I don't know. I mean, God used to come down in the cool of the day to talk to them. So seeing possibly an angelic being might not, might not be anything extraordinary, you know, to, to, to Eve. Or seeing a serpent talk, oh, you can talk. And again, part of the reading did say that Eve had been walking past that tree and looking at it. What is it about this tree? And now for a serpent that never used to open its mouth to peek out of that tree and say, hi, of course, I'll be fascinated. And knowing women, what we are, <laughs> we get carried away. Everybody gets carried away. Men, women alike. Okay, we got we got ninety seconds to go. But yeah. but what also struck me in this lesson is that yeah. when Eve was deceived and she was confused, why didn't she wait and say, "I will wait for Adam," or I would even ask for the person who gave me the owner's manual instruction, to- God, to say, "Okay, let me check from God." So exactly. it's a lesson for us today, even when we are confused with the deceptions around us. Let us yeah. always seek God but, for the right. Time. Uh, move in our lives amen. for the right amen. decision instead of amen. plunging deep into sin. Exactly, amen. The deed has already been done and we thank God that he's given us a solution to the problem. All we need now is to try to cooperate with him to mend that relationship because it's, it's, it's a controversy between good and evil and it's trying to prove, to prove and the victory has already been won anyway. It's trying to show us that yes, he really loves us and he came all the way down from Calvary to die for us. Even if it's just for you, you have come to die for. Let it be that we will um, regain that, that relationship with him. That sacrifice that he's made will be worth with, with all the while. Thank you very much and God bless you. We'll just have 25 seconds. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we, you have been with us through this lesson and 
Thank you for the covenant that you made for us. Help us that we may, through your Holy Spirit, be able to cooperate with you that this covenant should be rebuilt, this relationship be rebuilt, and we would spend eternity with you. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, welcome back. I'm sorry, Chunswe, uh, we couldn't complete it. Uh, okay, right. Uh, let's start uh, uh, from, from Basildon. Who's the spokesperson for Basildon? Good morning and happy Sabbath. Our lesson, what happened? Uh, from our lesson today, we have learned that God made us perfect. He, he created everything and he made the, the man and the woman very special and called them very good. What he made on the sixth day surpassed what, what was made on the other days because he called it very good. But this very good thing that God had made uh, disobeyed and we chose not to love him and to choose him and we ate of the fruit. We got tainted. God wanted a, a special relationship with us but we didn't grasp that and in losing it God set in place something he had already in place before the foundation of the world. He had Jesus who came to die for us so that he can reclaim us and make us very good again. Thank you. My prayer that in the end we may all be made very good and live with God forever. Thank you, Sister Teresa. Thank you very much. Well done. Um, Malden? Uh, Brother Winston. Okay. Um, the summary of it, uh, as far as I, the summary of it, as far as I am concerned, is 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 this: God is supreme. He will not tolerate anyone taking any of that away from Him. It doesn't matter what you might do as a human being or whatever it is. Ultimately, God is going to destroy it because He is the one that you should be looking at. And he, he, he planned our salvation in, in wisdom from the very beginning, even before we existed. And he, he, he bolted into it the possibility that the great plans that he has for us might come, uh, something might happen. And lo and behold, it happened. But God doesn't lose. God is not in the business of losing. He, 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 his plan was the plan of salvation, which time after time after time, the enemy has tried to destroy it. But the Lord cannot be beaten in that one. So we have the tree of death, which is the death sentence, the actual sentence carried out at Calvary. And then we have that uh, referred to in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 24, and the tree of life, the reward for 
restoration. We find that in Revelation 2, verse 7. In the, uh, in the wonderful thing is that the whole clue to this is that in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, we find that God in Jesus himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness jesus wins thank praise you. god that's yes, what it says to me thank you brother winston very nice um that one is um brain tree yes um when we look at this week's lesson it reminds us that god created us all he created male and female but as we know what happened satan came into this world and everything that god bless he attacks he attacks the sabbath he, he attacks sexuality and you know and he continually deceiving the world you know and we have to be careful, you know? So we just got to obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Brother uh, Jim. Okay, Sister Rosalind from Chumsford. I'm sorry, uh, Brother Franco. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor. For Chumsford, this is the summary. We um, learned through Genesis 1, verse 1, that God is the origin of everything, and that, uh, you know, that proves the existence of God. We also learned that um, whatever God created has a purpose, man inclusive, and also um, the other forms of creations that he made, such as nature, the moon, and all, they all have a purpose. And for us as human beings to understand the purpose of God we need to understand the creator himself. We also learned of the fundamental issues of the concept of this lesson, which are trusting God's willingness um, to, to follow God, the knowledge of the covenant, the relationship and the faith. And the last point is that as a result of sin, the relationship between God and man was damaged, but thank God to the promise of the Messiah uh, that is meant to restore this relationship. The, 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 the other fundamental lesson here is that when the relationship between God and man was damaged, we see the relationship between Adam and Eve also getting strained. So this reminds us that we need to return to God, not just as, 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 as married people or as congregations, but as individuals as well, because he created us in his image. Thank you, Brother Franco. Thanks so much for your time, Franco. God bless you. All right, thank you, all the teachers and the spokesperson, all the participants, and God bless you. And the next uh, week lesson is also very interesting, and it will uh, remind us so many of things. Uh, and uh, the entire, I mean, the topic of next week lesson is Covenant Primer. Okay, we'll be start talking about Abraham, Noah, and all the way down to Moses. Okay, so take your time to just think about how God 
brings promises into our life when we are discouraged and when we are losing hope. Okay, so this quarterly lesson is very appropriate in our direct dealings of our life's problems and difficulties. Okay, God bless you all. And let's move on to Health Talk by Eva Paul. Don't be so negative. Just be happy. Oh, come on, you'll get over it. How many times have we heard this phrase is being uttered? I'm sure many of us are familiar with these. In fact, a lot of us may have uttered these very same words. The topic of my health talk today is toxic positivity. Toxic positivity. Now, what exactly is toxic positivity? Toxic positivity is defined as the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy and optimistic state in any situation by denial, minimization, and invalidation of genuine human emotional experience. Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, a clinical psychologist who specializes in low self-esteem and stress, says that toxic positivity at its core is an avoidance strategy used to push away and invalidate any internal discomfort. Now, I'm not, now don't get the wrong impression. I'm not trying to say that positivity in itself is bad. No, positivity is good, but it becomes toxic when it's insincere, when it's forced, when it's ingenuine, and when it delegitimizes real feelings of anxiety, fear, sadness, and hardship. Toxic positivity has many forms, and um, I showed you some of the forms in my introduction earlier on. It could be a family member who tells you off or who chastises you for expressing your frustration instead of listening as to why you're really upset. Or it could be a comment to look on the bright side or to be grateful for what you have. Now, those things aren't necessarily bad, but when those phrases are used as a defense mechanism to move swiftly on from the reason as to why you're upset or why you're angry or if you're sad, then that's when the real issue arises. Studies show that when you avoid your emotions, it actually causes more harm. It causes an increase in anxiety, depression. It causes disturbed sleep. It increases substance abuse. It causes a risk in acute stress response, prolonged grief, and even PTSD. What I'm trying to say is that it's about experiencing all these emotions in moderation. We need to be balanced. It's not good to be angry all the time, of course. And it's also not good to be um, to use positivity as a mask when you're actually feeling sad. And the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because it's, ex it's especially harmful right now. And I think it heightened during the pandemic um, because we're in the same environment. Uh, we're lacking social interaction. And I think it's become a natural reflex for us to pretend that these negative emotions don't exist. So how do we deal with this? How do we get rid of toxic positivity? Firstly, what we need to do is avoid ignoring our emotions. The first step to solving any problem, of course, is to actually admitting that you have one. 
So acknowledge how you feel. And we can see this um, because it's evidenced in the Bible in um, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4 and also Romans 12 verse 15. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4 says, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Uh, not Revelation, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. So firstly, remember, don't avoid those emotions. It's good to talk about them. And even if you don't like talking about them, um, a brain study at UCLA showed that putting your feelings into words is also an alternative. So if you don't like talking, you can try journaling. Number two, listen and validate how others feel even when their feelings are different to yours. Now, as much as sometimes you don't like it, everyone is entitled to their own feelings and their own opinions. And it's really important to acknowledge the fact that other people may not feel the same way that you do, or that they might not cope in a similar situation that you might do. When appropriate, you can give gentle nudges or suggestions, but otherwise choose support over unsolicited advice. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. There's no point talking when you haven't listened, and it's important to understand how the other person feels. And especially because we're focusing on families today, it's important that even within the family dynamic, that parents and children, that we listen to each other more than we talk. A lot of problems arise because we don't actually listen to each other. We talk too much. And James um, says in chapter one that we need to be slow to speak, but we need to be swift to hear. Now, what's the third thing that we can do? Remember, it's okay not to be okay. David himself in the entire book of Psalms is so open about his emotions and he's so expressive and it's a good reminder from the Bible that it's okay not to be okay. In Psalm 6 he says in verses 2 to 3 and also in verses 6 to 7 that he's weary with groaning and all the night um, he says that he makes his bed to swim and he waters his couch with his tears. And even Lamentations in chapter 3, uh, verses 19 to 23, it's another beautiful reminder that sometimes even though we experience negative emotions such as sadness or grief or pain, and even when it seems like we've lost all hope, God is there. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet himself. And he talks um, about his misery and how his hope and his strength is perished in Lamentations chapter 3. However, it, in, if we read from verse um, 22 onwards, um, he says something so profound. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And because, uh, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. This is a wonderful reminder for us that it's okay not to be okay. Number four, be realistic. Call a spade a spade. If you're sad, then don't try to pretend that you're not sad. And we can take the example of the Laodicean church. Um, and um, it's that they're talked about in Revelation chapter three. Um, God says that, um, that, well, they claim to be rich and increased with goods and they have need of nothing. But in reality, that they're wretched and miserable, poor blind and naked. 
So really be realistic about how you feel. If you're feeling sad, then it's, remember, it's okay to be okay. And you need to be realistic that if you're sad, then yes, you're sad. Um, next, recognize toxic positivity messages. And this also ties in with my last point, which is be wary of social media. I think during the pandemic, a lot of um, us have more time to be on our phones and sharing all these messages. Um, and we need to really be careful about what we're telling other people when they express that they're not going, when they're going through a tough situation. Um, we need to remember that on social media, people generally put their best foot forward and they don't tend to show their bad days or the days where they're really suffering. They don't highlight their faults or their flaws or their poor decision making. And it gives us the impression that their life is perfect and that everything is fine for them, but they don't tend to show those kind of things. So we need to remember not to um, look at other people on social media and uh, feel bad about ourselves. Because again, people deal with situations differently. And we don't need to feel embarrassed that they seem to be handling it well when we're not. And I just want to show you a few examples of what you can say and how to eliminate um, toxic positivity. So instead of saying, you'll get over it, instead say, it's hard, but I believe in you. Instead of saying, don't be so negative, say, it's okay to feel bad sometimes. And if you read the rest of the examples, it's highlighted that instead of trying to eliminate or trying to pretend that that negative emotion isn't there. We need to show our support and say that we're there for the other person. Or if you're the person who's going through it, don't try to pretend like it's not there. Acknowledge it and remember that we shouldn't wear positivity as a mask. Um, positivity in itself, like I said before, is not bad, but it's when we try to pretend like other emotions um, are not valid. And I hope all of you have learned something really important from this. And remember to be really careful about the messages that you're sharing with other people. Remember um, with also what you share um, on social media. And may God bless all of you and um, enable you not to um, have toxic positivity in your life. Thank you. Little boys love to run and play. Uriel wanted to. Little boys love to run and play. Uriel wanted to be like the other boys, but he couldn't run. He could barely even walk. Growing up in Mexico, Uriel had been sick since he was a little boy. It seemed like nothing was working right. He had hyperthyroidism and a brain tumor, and now even walking was hard. These health complications had affected his life in drastic ways. When he was 11 years old, the doctor decided that Uriel needed a surgery to remove the brain tumor and to fix his legs. Uriel's grandmother believed in the power of prayer and convinced his mom that they needed to go to prayer meeting at the church the night before the surgery. The next morning, the doctor checked Uriel's legs one last time before the surgery. He was shocked to discover that Uriel's legs were completely fine. Then the doctor ordered a brain scan, and the tumor was gone. God had healed Uriel. Now he could run and play soccer with the other kids. 
After this miracle, Uriel and his mom gave their hearts to Jesus and joined an Adventist church. Uriel even gave Bible studies and preached. Five people were baptized because of his Bible studies. I want people everywhere to know that nothing is impossible for God, Uriel says. God is definitely doing the impossible for Uriel and others who live in the inter-American region, which spans from Mexico in the north to Guyana in the south. In the past five years, God has used church workers and lay members to plant nearly 3,000 new Seventh-day Adventist churches in this vast territory. The church has also started at least 11 urban centers of influence in the region. These centers follow Christ's example of mingling with people and meeting their physical and spiritual needs. For example, a lay member established a center in Guatemala to rehabilitate and bring hope to people struggling with drug and alcohol addictions. Many have overcome addiction by seeking treatment at the center and getting to know Jesus, and 1,500 have been baptized. Three other countries in the region have established centers of influence to minister to immigrants from a specific Asian ethnic group. Church members mingle with them and share the love of Jesus by teaching Spanish classes, playing ping pong, counseling, and offering Bible studies. In fact, a church was planted especially for this ethnic community. As God's work goes forward with power in the inter-American region, we see that truly nothing is impossible for God. When church members pray together and share the gospel, miracles happen and lives are changed. Just ask Uriel. Thank you for your prayers and financial support of the mission offering around the world. sleep. May the heart's best impulse ever check them ere they soil the leaf. Love one another, love each other, the love each other, obey the Father's blessed command. Love one another, love each other, the Savior, obey His best command. Love is much too pure and holy, friendship is too sacred far. For a moment's reckless folly, thus to desolate and mar. Love one another, love each other, love each other, and obey the Father's blessed command. Love one another, love each other, and obey His blessed command. Angry words are lightly spoken, brightest thoughts are rashly stirred. Brightest links of life are broken by a single angry word. Love one 
Beautiful song. Love one another. Let us pray. Oh, beloved Father, we thank you for this Sabbath day that you've all allowed us to witness. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this platform where we get together and, and hear about your word, learn about you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for creating us in your image. We need to remember all the time, Lord, that you created us in your image. So we need to be showing your character in our lives every day because through showing our character, uh, the character of God in ourselves, that is a way of preaching to others that uh, God is good and that uh, can bring souls to your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this Sabbath that we have also learned about um, be, that we should be free to show um, our emotions with the, the good or bad, Lord, so that whenever we need help, Lord, in those situations where we're not feeling good, in those situations where uh, things are not going our way, Lord, that we uh, get the help that we need, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for all the um, people that have shared the word on this platform, Lord, so that we can learn and, and uh, better our lives and uh, be drawn closer to you. We I ask, Lord, at this point that um, as we go into the main service, um, that we be attentive so that we can hear your word learn from it and grow from it, Lord. We ask that you're with us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm here to talk to Chumsford Church only. So um, all the Chumsford members, please turn on your video or just be uh, uh, ready with your, uh, um, at least the symbols of voting. Um, because we are going to do transfer out and also transfer in membership. May I ask Brother Deeraj and Elder Paul to help me to see the hands. Uh, uh, sometime I may not be able to see all the hands. Okay, all right. Number one, transfer out membership. Um, Brother Franco Molaya and Sister Linda Molaya, um, they were with us for uh, several years. Uh, very nice family, and uh, we know very well about the daughter, uh, but uh, I think uh, the second child, uh, when it was still infant, uh, they moved back to 
Zambia. Uh, only two children at the moment, or uh, any development? Only two. Okay. All right. Any, you are still young. Uh, so uh, now they have requested their uh, membership to be transferred from Chumsworth Seventh Adventist Church to Riverview Seventh Adventist Church, Zambia. Okay, as we know that uh, last week we did the uh, first reading. Today we'll be reading the final and we'll take vote. Uh, Brother F Franco, we still remember your, uh, uh, your commitment in our church. I was, uh, I mean, the church was about to ordain you as elder, but you just uh, missed it. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're an elder there or not, but uh, anyway, God bless you and you are so uh, wonderful. Whenever uh, I pass uh, your flat, I used to remember you. Okay, so God bless you. Uh, so we'll take vote on this first, then we'll come back to transfer in membership. So. Chumsworth Church, who are interested uh, or who are in favor of transferring Brother uh, Franco and Linda to Riverview Church, Zambia, please raise your hands. Okay, all the Chumsworth members. Okay, all right, I can see blue hands as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, any uh, opposed to the same side or against to the same side? Okay, it's carried. Uh, Franco, please stick with us and we will have a word of prayer just after this. Okay, transfer in membership. Uh, Elder Dinesh and Sister Nisha, uh, they have requested their uh, membership to be transferred in from Harlow Seventh-day Adventist Church to Chumsword Seventh-day Adventist Church. You will see them uh, here. Yeah, thank you. And they have uh, beautiful children and they are very well-talented children. Uh, so that's Dinesh and uh, Nisha. Uh, then Lumbani from Freedom Park Seventh-day Adventist Church, Zambia to Chumsword SDA Church. Okay, that's Lumbani. Uh, then um, we have Prakash Madia and Irene Wilson. They have a wonderful daughter and uh, they have requested their membership from Trichy, South India to Chumsworth Seventh Adventist Church here. And you are seeing that. Uh, where is your child? Okay. Uh, good. Very nice. Very nice. Okay, right. As it is time to vote. Okay, all in favor to uh, take them into our uh, Chumsworth family, please raise your hands. Okay, right, I can see the hands as well. Let me go to the next page to see them. Well done, excellent, excellent. Uh, anybody against to the same side? Okay, I can't see any hand here. So it is carried. Okay, so um, Brother Dinesh, Sister Nisha, uh, Brother Lumbani, Brother Prakash, and Irene, welcome to Chumsworth Church family. And we strongly believe that your uh, days with us will be a blessing to all of us in Chumsworth. Don't hesitate to contact us because by God's grace, from today forward, you will be bona fide members of Chums uh, Chumsworth Adventist Church. 
Thank you so much for your willingness to bring your membership here to serve and make your membership active. And also, I have to say thanks to Brother Franco and Linda for your prayers and for your commitment. And thank you so much for your family. Let's bow heads for prayer. Eternal God in heaven, we do thank you so much indeed for this wonderful time for us to do your duty upon this earth. Lord, we thank you for Brother Franco and Sister Linda. What a wonderful, loving, kind family that we had worshipped together. Now they have taken their membership back to Zambia to extend their commitment officially in the church for the blessings of the community. So continue to uh, equip them and train them to accomplish the purpose that you have put in their lives. Thank you, dear Lord, for their lives, for their future. And we also thank you for Elder Dinesh and Sister Nisha, Brother Lumbani, Brother Prakash, and Irene, along with their children. May the Lord magnify them. May the Lord equip them. Let them realize the call and the purpose in Chamsworth Church, O oh Lord, so that their commitment, their willingness, and their positivity may bring glory and honor to you and blessing to Chamsworth Church and the community. Continue to be with the rest of the members who are willing to accommodate them into their families. Thank you, dear Lord, for accepting this membership. Thank you so much for approving this prayer. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Franco and Linda, goodbye for now. And Brother Dinesh, Nisha, Lumbani, Prakash and Irene, welcome to Shamsworth Church. God bless you all. Let's move on to praise and worship.
Good morning and a blessed Sabbath to one and all. I deem it a great honor and a privilege uh, to uh, welcome you as well as to do the announcements. So let's begin with the announcements for uh, today as well as for the rest of this uh, week. As you all are aware, beginning from today, or rather yesterday evening, we've been having this uh, revival in family life uh, meetings. And uh, today, I think uh, uh, we are going to be inspired and blessed by a message. Pastor will be introducing the speaker. So beginning from April 3 to April 10, we will be having this revival in family life meetings. And uh, today afternoon, we will be again be blessed by part of the series and every day evening at 7.30 p.m. We will be meeting for this program and Sabbath service, of course, next week will be again at 9.30 p.m. So this afternoon at 3.30 p.m., the title is Communication Within the Family by Elder Mashudu. So come back this afternoon at 3.30 p.m. for Communication Within the Family series. And then there is a special announcement for the Braintree Church members. Please note, today at 5 p.m., there's going to be a, an emergency church meeting of all the Braintree Church members at 5 p.m. today. And as usual, regularly, every Sunday, the non-SDA Bible study starts at 4 p.m. Please invite those non-Adventist friends of yours to join at 4 p.m. for the non-SDA Bible study tomorrow. Beginning from May 1 through to May 8, the core of Adventism uh, program will be there. So please, uh, those of you who are interested, those who want to join, join those meetings from May 1 through to 8. And May 31st to June 5th, as it has been announced earlier, there's going to be this SEC virtual camp meeting. So these are the announcements for this uh, week and for today. I'm just going to uh, announce the program for this divine service before I welcome everyone. Uh, after I pronounce uh, the welcome, following the announcements, there will be the opening song, which will be done by Brother Deeraj and his family. Uh, Brother Tiago will be interceding on behalf of all the four churches this afternoon. And children's story will be given by Ryan Dube. And then the scripture reading will be done by Sister Lorraine Fuller. And before Sister Woomba gives her special song, our pastor will be introducing uh, the speaker for this divine service. Uh, and his name is Elder Mashudu uh, Ravan Ghani. Followed by the, uh, following the sermon, there will be the closing song by Brother Moses Rajasik and his family, and benediction will be offered by the preacher, Elder Mashudu, and our pastor will be proposing the word of thanks. I deem it an honor once again to welcome all the members of Basildon, Braintree, Malden, and Chelmsford congregation. Those of us, those of you who are watching on YouTube, as well as on the church website, we want to welcome you. I hope you have uh, the same worship experience of us who are worshiping here on the Zoom platform. As you know, this is a revival of family life. I would like to 
read a verse for call to worship. And I, I've chosen that text from Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. It reads, for I know him. And some uh, translation says, for I have chosen him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. I would like to personalize to all the four congregations and it can, this is the word of God and it can read like this, for I have chosen or I have known Basildon, Braintree, Malden, and Chelmsford congregations, that they will command their children and their household after them, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham, that the Lord may bring upon all these congregations that which he has spoken of them. It is also my prayer as a, a call to worship that all the congregation will be called to revival in their family life so that we will be able to do for which the things that we have been called upon, the things for which he has known us. May God bless us as we go through this revival service, uh, revival series, that we will keep the way of the Lord, that we will do justice and judgment so that we can receive all the things that God has spoken concerning us. With these words, I would like to call you all for worship uh, as we join uh, together to worship the Lord. Shall, I, shall we close our eyes as we begin this worship of this divine service? Our loving and living Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for this blessed unit of family that you have created. And it is about time that there is revival in our families and the churches have chosen this special weekend and this week to start these revival meetings and i pray that these revival meetings will lord instill in us uh, the purpose the reason why you have known and chosen us that we will be able to keep the way of the lord to do justice uh, lord so that we will be able to receive the blessings that you have for each and every family Bless us as we go through these meetings. May your Holy Spirit guide and lead us, Lord, and be with the speaker. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For our opening song, we will sing hymn 522. My hope is built on nothing less.
Hi everyone, let's bow our head. Uh, I, I ask if you, whoever who can uh, kneel, please lay, kneel down as we have a word of prayer. Our Lord Jesus, I come to you today and thank you for the privilege of praying for others. I ask you first to cleanse my heart and show me if there is any unconfessed sin in my own life so that my prayers for others will not be heard. I thank you that through your name I can come boldly before you and pray with confidence according to your will. I know that you heard our prayer. I lift up all those who here in the platform, in my neighborhood, in my town, in the four churches, Bentry, Basildon, Chelmsford, Maldon, and in the rest of all the world. Lord, please keep, keep, uh, Please help them to keep the influence for the good deeds. Let them be the salt and the light pointing others to you, Father. Deepen their love for you and for the people around them. Guard them from hypocrisy and from giving up in, in temptations that could arm themselves and others. Rise up the leaders who will serve you faithfully at all costs. Turn the hearts of fathers and mothers towards their children and families towards you, dear Lord. Help them to exemplify your values and make them strong in their faith. May our love for you help us to love and forgive others and make a difference in our world. Lord, in this time of pandemic, I pray for all those in authority and leadership throughout the world. Please, Lord, give them your mind yours, and surround them with godly counselors who will exercise integrity and work for justice, morality and freedom. Help them to acknowledge you and follow your principles and values. I pray, Lord, for the lost, the hurting, the lonely, the sick, and those who are in prison. I beg you, Lord, that you send your comfort, peace, hope, and your coming presence to them, Father, there is so many needs, but you, Lord Jesus, are adequate for every need. Your name is powerful, and your power, your power is great. Thanks for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Happy Sabbath, everyone.
uh, it's time to return to our hearts to God through tithe and offering. Why do we have to do it? Because it's God's plan. God ex expects it, God explains it, and God encourages, us, encourages it. When we read Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, and uh, verse um, 10 as well, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But we say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithe and offering. Verse 10 says, bring all that tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be no room enough to receive it. Why do we have to return that tithe? It's a command from God. He says, bring ye. It's not an option. He does, he does not say, I suggest that you bring the tithe. He says, bring ye, which means it's a command. Tithing is also secret. Um, the word tithe, um, anything that God gives is secret because it is of divine origin and comes directly from God. And it's so simple. He says that it's tenth. He does not give us uh, 0 0.5789, no, he says tenth. So it is so simple. And also it is satisfying. It's a satisfying thing. God says, when you bring the offering, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And you will not even have room to receive it. So with those words, we have to return the tithe and offering because it is a command, a secret plan, a simple plan, and a satisfying plan from God to us. Um, for those who... You who don't know where to return your tithe and offering, you can be in touch with your elders, even the pastor. Uh, they direct you where you have to return your tithe and offering. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify your name. Lord, we thank you so much for taking care of us. We thank you, Lord, for providing for us. We thank you for sustaining for us. We thank you, Lord, for meeting all our needs, even beyond what we deserve, Lord. Lord, we come back to returning the tithe and offering to you because you commanded that we should. And we thank you so much because there is a blessing in returning the tithe. As you have promised that you are going to, to open up windows for us in heaven and pour out a blessing, Lord, we claim that in Jesus' name. And we thank you so much because we have received Everything, Lord, which comes from you belongs to earth and is satisfying and is secret. So, Lord, we ask that forgive us where we have not done accordingly. But as we have learned that it comes from you, Lord, we thank you. We praise you as we return it, Lord. Give us the blessing and we, we praise you for giving us all those blessings, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, children. Hope you all ha have had a lovely week and are enjoying the school holidays. 
Today's story is about a special family of five who live somewhere in the coast of Cornwall. So please listen and I pray that we will all learn something from this story. The family was made up of Grandpa, Grandma, Mother, Martin and Paul. They often loved to go out together to the beach for picnics. One summer's day, when the sun was shining and the wind was warm, they all decided to go out for a picnic. Everybody was happy until something happened. Grandpa liked to take pictures with an expensive camera and also carried an extra lens with him. Eager to go to the water, Grandpa asked Mother to look after the camera and extra lens. So the rest of the family went off to paddle, leaving Mother to look after the camera. After a while, Martin came back. I want my bucket and spade, he said. Where is it? Mother stood up stood up and handed to Martin his bucket and spade and sat down again. Then she noticed she no longer had Grandpa's precious lens. Alarmed, she got up and started looking for the lens everywhere, but there was no lens anywhere. The lens had disappeared. Grandpa came up from the water to get his camera. What's the matter? he said. He asked. Lost something? Yes, said Mother. The lens. Not my special lens, cried Grandpa. What happened? I don't know, said Mother. I had it in my hand a few minutes ago, but I got up to give Martin his bucket and spade, and the next thing I knew, there was no lens. It just vanished. Then the search really began. Everyone looked everywhere. They dug in the sand all around the place where Mother was sitting, but no lens turned up. Then Grandpa had a bright idea. He went to the beach attendant who lent him a large sieve. With this, he began to sift the sand till he was tired out. I'm afraid it's hopeless, he said. Too bad, but why spoil the day? Come on, come on, let's have lunch. Everybody thought this was a good idea, especially Paul and Martin. After, after they went paddling again. Except for Mother, who stayed behind and went on searching. She couldn't bear to think about Grandpa losing something he valued so much. Then she saw it, a little gleam of light reflected from the sun. It was coming from something buried, just a quarter of an inch down the sand. She caught her breath. Could it be Grandpa's lens? It was. I found it, she shouted loud enough for everybody on the beach to hear. All the family came running. You should have seen the joy on Grandpa's face. I was praying you'd find it, he said. So was I, said Grandma. So was I, said Martin. So was I, said Paul. I'm sure we were all praying, said Mother. Ha and how thankful I am it's found at last. So, what's the moral of the story? Don't get the wrong idea. This doesn't mean if you ask God for anything, it will just appear there and there. Yes, God does answer our prayers. His answer may be yes, no or wait. Just as the whole family pray, it is important to talk to God all the time. You can pray together with your family and you can also pray on your own. Always remember to pray not once a week but every day. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given us. I pray that we will remember to pray with our family and and to pray to you every single day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
morning church. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 11, which reads, For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, it is my great privilege and responsibility to introduce the speaker of this uh, divine worship, so also uh, the next two days, um, Elder Mashudu. Um, he is the founder, speaker, and director for Living Power Ministry, registered in uh, Southern Africa Indian Ocean Division. Uh, he is the author of four books, three books actually, but four volumes, uh, purely upon family marriage. He is also a frequent speaker in Hope Channel and also uh, many African uh, radios upon family marriage issues. Um, Elder Masudu. Um, uh, is a very powerful speaker and expert uh, in counseling families and understanding the issues in the family. And I praise the Lord that today he is here with us, preaching for us today uh, and tomorrow uh, and the following day as well. Uh, Elder Mashudu, it is our uh, great privilege to welcome you on behalf of uh, Chumsford, Basildon, Braintree, and Malden congregation, along with the visitors and regular visitors. I'm sure in Jesus Christ that we all will be blessed by your presentation and word of wisdom. But before you speak, uh, we have a special song uh, by Sister Umba. Still 
sent his son to save us and from the cross he built a bridge to set us free all but deep within our hearts there is still the rages that makes a sacrifice so small to see and when I greet the church in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am very happy and excited for the opportunity and the privilege that God has given uh, us to be together uh, today and the next coming two days. And also to be part of this great family life revival that is going on. I have no doubt that the Lord is going to do mighty and great things in this week to revive families, to restore families, and also to strengthen uh, families. And uh, so we thank the pastor, uh, the churches, and the leadership of the churches for the privilege that has given me to also be part of this great revival 
for families and to share some few words uh, together. And today, without much further ado, we are going to be looking at the subject of Christ, the foundation of the family, the text. Our key text has already been read quite well earlier on, but let's look at it one more time. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse um, uh, 11, it says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege you've given us today to come to worship you. Lord, we pray that you speak. Speak, Lord, as only you could. Speak to me, speak through me, and when necessary, bypass me and speak directly to your people. To that end, we pray that you bless the reading, the presentation of your word and the listening thereof. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Christ, the foundation of the family is our theme for today. The text, the text declares that there is only one foundation and there can only be one foundation. Uh, there is only one rock big enough strong enough to be the foundation. Uh, it is that rock that is higher than you and I. Jesus is the one and only foundation. He is that rock of ages. The text also declares that it is impossible to copy, duplicate, or replicate this foundation, for no one can lay another foundation. It is impossible it can't be done. If you are building or you are planning to build, you better be building on him who is the solid rock. Jesus is the sure uh, foundation. He's the foundation of strong families. He is the fountain of joy in our homes. He is the source of success in marriages. He is the bedrock of peace in our homes. He is the cornerstone of happiness in our families. A story is told uh, of two men who acquired two pieces of land. And as, he, as they acquired these two pieces of land, one man uh, quickly cleared up the ground. And in no time, he built up his house and in in three months, the family have moved into the house. The house was complete and finished. Whereas the other man on the other side, he started digging. After a month, he was still digging. After two months, he was still digging. After three months, he was still digging. Four months, he is still digging. And the wife says to him, what's wrong with you? Look at the neighbors. Their house is complete. They have already moved on and you are still digging. Five months, he's still digging. And after six months, he finally reached the rock. And on that rock, he built the house. That's where his foundation was built. 
And the two houses looked similar. They had same number of rooms and same structure when you look at the two houses. Uh, and, 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 and the families enjoyed moving in and out of the house until the day when the rain, the storm, and the hurricane came and the house on the sand was swept away, whereas the house that was on the rock remained standing. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, 27, he says he likens uh, a wise man as the one who builds his house on the rock. Again, in Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus says to them, have you not read in the scriptures that that stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone? And as we look into families today, uh, the same remains. Uh, that stone that doesn't seem to fit in into the lifestyles of the postmodern and the modern uh, people. That stone that doesn't seem to fit in into uh, our own ways of doing things. That stone that seems to be irrelevant. That stone has become the cornerstone. It is that stone on which you build structures that will not fall apart. It is the rejection of this stone that has resulted in the crisis that we have today in families and in marriages. It's the rejection of this stone that has made us to have uh, a situation today where more marriages are failing than those that are standing. Uh, it is the rejection of this stone that is the cornerstone. Um, it is important for us to realize that as we look at couples, as we look at families uh, sitting together, and some of them we can see on the, on the video today, holding on to each other, uh, what will make them to stand is not the kind of clothes that they are wearing. It's not the kind of income that they earn. What will make them to stand is not the neighborhood in which they come from. Uh, it, it is not even how much they care and love each other. What will make them to stand is where they are built on, whether they are built on the rock or not. The fact of the matter is storms, rain, will come to every marriage. Every marriage, every family will be tested to breaking point. Everyone will be shaken. There will be storms of infidelity, uh, temptations. There will be rain of in-laws challenges. There will be winds of financial uh, storms that will come into our lives. And the truth the truth of the matter is only those that are built on the rock will stand. So it is not if the storms will come, it is when they will come and they will surely come. And the question is, where will you be? Will you be on the rock or you will be on the sifting, shifting sand? Marriage is all about God and we will talk 
tomorrow about the purpose of marriage and how he created it and way what he had in mind because it was his agenda to create the institution of marriage so marriage is all about god marriage is one of the most complex relationship that you can ever enter into because it is the coming together of two strangers different backgrounds different personalities different upbringings different ways of doing things and these two strangers must stay together in one house in one room on the same bed without killing each other it's not easy it's not easy so marriage is all about god only god can think of marriage and only god can make it work you see if it was me I was going to simplify the idea and the concept of marriage. I was going to say let each one marry their own sibling. Marry your own brother, marry your own sister. Then you don't have in-laws problems as we often have here in Africa and even in other cultures. Um secondly, um you know, when you have got problems, you just go back home to mommy and daddy. There is no divorce who am i going to divorce because you only have that sibling to get married to so i was going to make it that simple but god made marriage to be so complex that you marry the stranger sometimes from a different culture different different ways in which they view things because only him can make this complex union to work only him it is only him who has got a blueprint on how to put together the puzzle of marriage and the family it was never supposed to be done outside of god there, there is a controlled environment the controlled environment on which families and marriages are supposed to operate it is an environment of god when you come out of that controlled environment you find explosion and many other challenges So marriage was started by God and can only be sustained by him. In fact, marriage is one of the greatest miracles uh on earth when these two strangers can live happily together from one year to another after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. and is a testimony of God's power. So marriage is a spiritual relationship and the participants thereof must be spiritual and the challenges thereof can only be addressed spiritually so it's a spiritual union requiring people who must move up to the spiritual level and any of the challenges can only be addressed spiritually so it is important for us to realize that young people who are desiring and thinking of entering into marriage must understand that marriage is not for every tom dick and harry marriage is for those who are spiritual marriage was given to adam who was perfect in perfect connection with god marriage is for those who are spiritual but the challenge thereof can only be addressed spiritually every challenge that we find in families and in marriages can only be addressed spiritually because there are spiritual challenges let's look at examples of challenges that you can find in marriage um infidelity many people don't realize that infidelity is not a marital problem but it's a spiritual problem 
the spiritual problem with marital consequences, but it is a spiritual problem. It would have been a marital problem if it was your spouse who said, thou shalt not commit adultery. So it is God who said, thou shalt not commit adultery. When people commit adultery, they're not trying to hurt their spouses. They are trying to hurt God who says, thou shalt not. In fact, when you, when you commit adultery, you are lifting a middle finger to God. You are saying to God, I don't listen to you. I don't obey you. I obey my feelings. So when people try to commit adultery, they are attacking God. And I want to say to people who are married, when your spouse is committing adultery, don't take it personal. Don't think it's about you. Don't think it's because the other woman has got a better shape. Don't think because the other woman uh, has got other things that are uh, more enlarged than yours. No, 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 no. Um, it has nothing to do with your appearance, with your complexion, with your style of dress and whatever. It is above your pay grade. When someone is committing adultery, they are dealing not with you, they are dealing with God. They are attacking God himself. It's just that God is a God of mercy. It's a God of mercy. He allows people to lift a middle finger of them. Do you know that nobody can commit adultery without the power of God that God gives him to be alive? I mean, God is merciful if it was me. And you are lifting a middle finger to me. You are committing adultery, showing that you don't care. If it was me, God, I was going to turn down your oxygen level. Mm-hmm. Dead. Don't do it again. We'll let others be warned. But he's a merciful God. So infidelity is a spiritual problem. So when you see that happening in your spouse, don't think you can fix it. By beating someone. Don't think you can fix it by crying, by shouting. No. Put on the whole armor of God. Go down on your knees. Because the enemy has entered and is attacking your marriage spiritually. If you fully understand this, then you'll be able to say to your spouse, Mark, why? Why? Why are you doing this? Lifting a middle finger to God after all that God has done for us. Why? Why are you insulting God? Why? It's not me. It's what you're doing to us, God. Spiritual. What other problems do we have? In marriage, the wife who doesn't like your family members, when they arrive, the first thing is when are they leaving? And spiritual problem. One has got a, a spiritual weakness, lack of love, doesn't have the fruit of the spirit. So you can't fix it by saying, yeah, if you don't want your people to come, my people to come to visit, even yours must not come to visit. No, it's almost like you've got those demons of hatred. I also want them. I want also want the same demons. It's like I'm jealous of your demons. When you see your spouse doing that, you must know that's a spiritual problem. Put on the whole armor of God. Go down on your knees and pray for your spouse to be delivered from the demons of hatred. Everything that we deal with in marriage is spiritual and can only be resolved spiritually. Marriage is holy. holy. It's called holy matrimony. That means it has been set apart, consecrated to God and for his service. Uh, so marriage is holy ground. And I say to young people, when you think of the prerequisite for marriage is holiness. 
Holiness is a prerequisite. Uh, uh, if you want to enter into marriage, you must know that when you enter into marriage, you enter the holy ground. There are many things you can do in the church without holiness. Uh, you can be a member in regular standing without holiness. You can be an elder without holiness. You, you can be a pastor without holiness. Um, um, you can do many things without holiness. But you can never be successful in marriage without holiness. Marriage will test you and try you until it shows your true colors. In fact, um, the prerequisite, as you said, for marriage is holiness. And because when you look into Christianity and the idea of marriage, you will realize they go together. When somebody says, show me two people who are true Christians. Two people who are true Christians. I'll show you two people who are happily married. If they are a couple and they're true Christians, they will be happily married. Even though they've never attended any of my seminars. But if they are true Christians, they'll be happily married. Why? Oh, by the way, the inverse is also true. If two people can live together happily in marriage, from one year to another, one decade to another, going to heaven will be a walk in the park. Now let's go to the first premise. If they are true Christians, they'll be happily married. Why? Because whatever is required for one to be a Christian, because Christ is the foundation for both, is the foundation for Christianity, is the foundation for marriage. So what is required for one is what is required for other. It's the same foundation, which is Christ. What is required in, in Christianity? What does Christ say? He says, this is my commandment, that you should love one another. So love is what is required in order to be a Christian. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, how can somebody say, I don't love you anymore in marriage? They can only say, I don't love you anymore if they're not Christians. Because if they're Christians, they will know that you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And who is your nearest neighbor? Your nearest neighbor is the person sleeping next to you. That's your nearest neighbor. So the only time somebody can say, I don't love you anymore, it is when they are no longer Christians. In fact, Christ makes it worse to Christians. <laughs> uh, in Christianity, he says, um, love your enemies. Oh, dear Jesus, we are struggling to love our wives. Now you are adding enemies. He says, love your enemies. And I was saying to couples the other day, and I said to them, when your partner, when, um, when, 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 your, when your spouse has made you very angry um, and has hurt you and has disturbed you somehow, um, go to your spouse and say, from now onwards, you are my enemy. I'm sleeping with the enemy. So, then you go to the Bible and read the Bible. And the Bible says, love your enemies. Then you go to your spouse and says, yeah, I was reading somewhere in the Bible. It says, I must love 
people like you, my enemies. There's no way out. What else does the Bible say to Christians? He says, in your anger, do not sin. Let the sun not go down. You will think he's saying to many people. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't beat up someone. Don't say nasty things. Do not sin. And let the sun not go down. Don't have silent treatment for a week, for two weeks, for a month, for two months. If we were Christians, we were not going to sin. The only reason why we sin or we have silent treatment is because we're not Christians. What does the Bible say to Christians? He says, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will not forgive you. So, why are we divorcing people? Because we can't forgive them. What is the real reason why we can't forgive them? Because we're not Christians. Because if we are true Christians, we will know that in order for us to be saved, in order for us to walk in Jerusalem just like John, in order to be there when the saints go marching in, we will need to forgive people, even those who are our spouses. Because when I forgive you, I'm not doing you a favor. I'm moving you out of the way because I'm on my way to the new Jerusalem and I will not allow you to stand on my way. So when I forgive you, I'm saying, move out of my way. I'm going to the New Jerusalem. What does the Bible say to Christians? It says, be patient. It's a fruit of the Spirit. In the King James Version, it says, long suffering. Why are we impatient with one another? Why are we refusing to suffer long for one another? Because we're not Christians. And I say to people, give me Christians any day. <laughs> give me Christian any day. And I will prove to you that marriage is a great success. The challenge, the challenge, the challenge we have is that we have Christians at the church, but we don't have Christians at home. We have got Christians in the street, but we don't have Christians in marriage. Everything that happens to us in marriage is personal. That's why the divorce rate among Christians and non-Christians is the same. Because while we are Christians outside home, while we are Christians in the church, while we are Christians in the workplace, when we come to marriage, we are not Christians. Everything is personal. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? I will not take that. You, you can't do this, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. Now, if we were Christians, you know, I mean, when somebody steps on your toe at church, you go and follow Matthew 18 and, 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 you, and you go and says, my brother, um, you know, you are stepping on my toe. You know, it's painful when you have your big size 10 shoe on my toes. Uh, please move your shoe from my toes and you pray about it. However, when he gets home, there is nothing like my, hey, my sister, hey, this thing that you're doing, hey, I, you know, Jesus does not like it, you know, for you to be shouting at me and belittling me. Let's pray about it, my sister. You know, you know, because the good book does not like that. Everything is, is personal. Why are you belittling me? You think I'm a child. What happened to Christianity? Hey, my brother, 
What happened? I see, I see the messages, the messages on your phone. Hey, 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 why are you saying you love this other sister? Hey, let's pray over you not like it. He says, you know, we must stay away from appearance of all evil. Yeah. There's nothing like that. It's personal. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I will take this. So we are Christians everywhere else, but we fail to have Christians. We, we don't bring Christ into our marriages. Even those people in the church, your friends in the church will advise you. They will advise you not to be Christians in the church. Yeah. Not to put your foot down and not to accept certain things. We forget that there is a God who says, be still and know that I am God. That vengeance is mine. I will repay. That there is a God who fights our battles. Yeah. But many a times we, we think we are on our own. And people are taking advantage of us. I think advantage that they are a child of God. Nobody can take advantage of the child of God and God just leaves it like that because God will deal with you if you mess around with the child of God. And if I'm a child of God and you think I'm a fool, but God will deal with you harshly. So it is important that the foundation, the foundation becomes Christ. So before you go, young people, before you go into the altar of marriage, start at the altar of Calvary. Uh, before you can come here and make your vow, make a vow with, with Jesus. Uh, before you can make a covenant of marriage, start with the covenant with Jesus. Yeah. It is then that when you have made that, that this is going to be right with you. Young people, don't enter a heart where Jesus is not in residence. And don't invite anybody into your heart until Jesus is the foundation on which, and Jesus is inside of you, whispering to you, say, no, 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 that one, no, that one, the one, the next one, there's on the next row, not yet, not yet, yeah, that one. Until you can hear him whispering and guiding and ordering your footsteps. So it is important for us to realize that Jesus is that foundation that we need. Uh, so in order to be successful, start with Jesus. <laughs> um, I, 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 I said a statement that couples got, got, got a bit worried when I say to them, there is no happiness in marriage, that you won't find happiness in marriage. They said, how can it be? I said, let me explain. There is no happiness in marriage. Before you get married, start by going to Jesus. Let him give you joy, peace, and happiness. And when you come into marriage, marriage is bring and share. Bring your own joy, peace, and happiness. And let the other one bring their own joy, peace, and happiness. And let you enjoy together. Be together. Enjoy the, the, the joy, peace, and happiness together. But there are many people who are miserable and sad. They think marriage will make them happy. Marriage will not help make you happy. If you are sad and miserable, you will be sad and miserable in, in, in marriage because marriage does not create that which only God can create. You must go to God first and get it from God and bring it. And the good thing about it is that when you have got joy, peace, and happiness, when it comes from God, 
no marriage can take it away from you. No husband can take it away from you. And no wife can take it away from you. If it comes from God, they can't take it away from you. Then you'll be able to sing like Shelly Caesar. She says, this joy I have. The world didn't give it to me. Yeah. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. This happiness I have, oh, the marriage didn't give it to me. The marriage didn't give it. The marriage can't take it away. Even though you can cheat on me, you can ill-treat me, but I will remain with the happiness I have. You won't see me collapsing and depressed. No, 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 because it never came from you, but it came from Jesus. So Jesus is that foundation on which I need um, in order to build the future. Uh, it is important for us to realize uh, that hypocrisy does not bring happiness in marriage. Uh, it, is, it is possible to be a successful hypocrite at church. It can be successful hypocrite at church uh, until we elect you into leadership in the church. Uh, you can even be a successful hypocrite in the streets until wherever you go, they say, that's the pastor, that's the pastor, even at the workplace. But it is impossible to be a successful hypocrite in marriage because marriage is a litmus test for Christianity. A marriage will test you and try you until your true colors come out. Marriage exposes your inner self. All of us who are married, we know if our spouses are Christians or not. If we are honest, when the nominating committee comes up with the names, we were going to tell the pastor, Pastor, hey, I know you prayed for the nominating committee, but hey, this man of God you have chosen to be an elder, hey, let him rest. We are still praying. We are still praying. We are still praying. But we are not honest. So it is important for us to know how to resolve conflict. It is important for us to, to know how to communicate, is how to express love. Many of the things that are going to be discussed and said about in the coming week, um, it is important for you to know all of those things, but all of those are a waste of time and effort if they fall on a heart that is not converted. Now, I've been doing seminars for many, many years, and I know that people who are not converted, they like coming to my seminars. Both husband and wife, they like coming to my seminars when they are not converted. And, and they come for different reasons, because when they come to my seminars, this is what they do. The husbands listen to what the wife is supposed to do. And the wife listens to what the husband is supposed to do. They never came for themselves. That's why when the pastor and the preacher is in the spirit and he says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church, you'll hear the sisters, amen, amen. They are saying, did you hear that? That's for you. And when the Pastor balances it out and he says, uh, Wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And then you'll hear uh, the, 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 the man says, Preach, come on now, <laughs> tell them. Uh, because that's what they do. And as soon as they get home, they start fighting 
over the things they've had. See now, you see now, you are doing the very same thing the pastor was talking about. We brought a preacher all the way from South Africa for you, and yet you have not repented. You are doing the same thing. Those are people who are not converted. But when people who are converted, when they are standing on the rock, they don't care. The man comes for himself. He says, I want to be the best husband ever. I want to be the best father. I want to be the best Lord. Mold me. Make me to be the best. And, and the woman on the other side says, no, I don't care what they say to the man, but I've come for myself. It, it, Lord, it's me. It's not my husband. It's not my children. It's me, Lord, standing in the need of, of being modeled and being changed to be like Christ. That's the purpose. That's the idea. When you are standing on the rock, God can work on you and change you uh, and make you a better person. It is important for us to realize that it is impossible to be a good wife. I didn't say hard. I didn't say difficult. I said impossible. Impossible to be a good husband. Impossible to love your spouse unconditionally. I didn't say hard or difficult. Impossible. Impossible to continue to forgive one who will treat you and neglect you. It, it is impossible. It can't be done. And when you enter marriage, enter with the understanding that it is impossible. It can't be done. And then you go to the Bible. And the Bible says, things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Uh, we need to enter marriage with an understanding of Philippians 4, 13, where Paul says, I can do all things. I can be a good wife. I can be a good husband. I can be loving. I can be forgiving. I can be caring. I can do all things uh, through Christ. Oh, because by myself, I will say over my dead body. By myself, I will give up. By myself, I... I will not have the strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me strength when my strength is gone, who renews my strength when I want to give up. I can do all things through Christ. So therefore, if we are going to make it, we need to build on Christ. We need to build on the foundation that is Christ. And in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. If you want success in marriage, seek first the kingdom. Seek first to be standing on the rock. Seek first to be in that altar where you sacrificed yourself. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God um, and, and, and his righteousness. Seeking to walk with Christ. Seeking to see his face. Seeking to prioritize him in our lives. Uh, marriage, the spouse, the children, the family. Everything else must find its place when Christ has already found his place. Christ is the rock on which we build. We build our marriages. We build our families. We, we raise our children on that rock. We, 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 it is on that rock that everything finds itself. I always say to couples, if your spouse loves you more than he or she loves God, you need to be worried 
because it won't last. You see, marriage must start with the plea to be number two. I want to be number two. I have heard the lovers say to each other, you are my everything, you are my sunshine, you are my whatever. And, and they go on and on. When somebody says that to you, you are my everything, you are my sunshine, you are my whatever. Say, wait, 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 wait. Let God be your everything. Let him be your sunshine. Let him be your oxygen. Let him be your everything. I want to be number two. Uh, I, I don't want to compete with Jesus. I, I, I just want to wait here. Do your thing with Jesus. And when you're done with your Jesus, come and I'll be number two. So the success of marriage starts, and the family starts by two people seeking, not so much to get closer to one another, but seeking to get closer with Christ. Since there's only one way to Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life, as you try to move towards Christ, the more you get closer to Christ, the more you get closer to one another until you find yourself in Christ. So success starts by one seeking God and encouraging your spouse to do the same. And as we look today, as we conclude, and look at the state of marriages today, we see a lot of unhappiness in families. We see financial challenges, couples fighting over the money that they have or don't have. Uh, we see a lot of infidelity that has infested uh, marriages today. Uh, we see a lot of violence, physical violence, uh, abuse of one another, emotional abuse and financial abuse that is there even inside the church. As we look at the state of marriage today, there was a state of marriage report. You will see many, even who are listening today, who are giving up on their families, giving up on their marriages, who believe that there is no way they're going to be able to make it. But as we come to the end of this message today, I would like to believe there is healing. Isaiah, as he looked forward to the ministry of Jesus, as he looked forward to the ministry of Jesus, he prophesied long before it happened. And he wrote about this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. And there he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Isaiah says he was wounded for transgressions. As you look at Jesus, you saw the wounds in his hands, the wounds on his feet, the wounds on his side. He says he was wounded for transgressions. Oh, transgression is it's a crossing of the line. It's transgressing, going to where you're not supposed to go, doing that which you're not supposed to do. You, you cross the line. And he says he was wounded for a transgression. He knew that amongst us in 2021, in our families, in our marriages, there will be transgression. Somebody will cross the line. Somebody will flat with a person they're not supposed to be flatting with. They will cross the line. Somebody will say something hateful things. Somebody will do something they're not supposed to do. They will cross the line and that's 
That's why he allowed 2,000 years ago, as we are celebrating, as the world is celebrating this weekend, he allowed 2,000 a day that men should wound him because when they were wounding him, he were pain for our transgressions. Because for the transgressions that we have done, there is nothing we can do to pay back. The words that you've said, the hateful words, the things that you've done, the hand you've lifted, there is nothing you can do to pay for it. And that's why 2,000 years ago, he allowed men to wound him to pay a prepayment for our transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. And then, and, then, and then then Isaiah says, he was bruised for our iniquities. As you look at his body, there were bruises all over. They, they beat him up until his back was like raw meat. And he allowed man to do that, to pay for iniquities. Iniquity is, is not like transgression. Iniquity is sinning against the light. It's doing wrong when you know it's, it's wrong. When you do it over and over again, you know. What you're going to say is going to hurt someone. You know what you're doing is going to hurt someone, but you do it over and over and over again. And the question this morning is that what's nothing you can do to pay for iniquity? That's why 2,000 years ago, Jesus decided to allow man to bruise him because through the bruising on his body, he was paid for your iniquity today. He was paying for the things you've done deliberately. Where I'm sorry does not help. Where I'm sorry does not cut it. But he decided, he knows that there was nothing you can do to pay. And he decided to pay through his own life. He decided to pay by the bruises on his body. And then Isaiah says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. The punishment for our peace was upon him as he carried that heavy cross from Jerusalem all the way to Golgotha. The punishment was upon him for our peace was upon him. He, he paid for our peace so that today in our homes where there is storms and turmoil and, 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 and communication breakdown and insults in our homes where there are storms and there's a will win so that today he can have the right to say peace be still. Uh, he made a payment for our peace so that today he can intervene in your home, whether you are in the UK, whether you are in Africa, whether you are in, in, in Europe, wherever you are, so that he can pay so that there can be peace in your home. He paid for our peace. So that today we don't have to continue doing what we've been doing to each other last night and, and the night before. So that today we can go homes to the homes of peace. And lastly, Isaiah says, and by his stripes we are healed. His body was full of stripes where they beat him up. And he says, when they opened up his body to create those stripes, it was for the healing of our wounds. The wounds that have been inflicted into our homes through ill treatment, the wounds that have been inflicted through terrible words, the wounds that have been inflicted um, through unfaithfulness, the wounds, the wounds, the wounds that are bleeding today, the wounds, he says, uh, by his stripe, 
we are healed and that's why today there is healing for families all over the world today there is healing for you and your home and your marriage and your family there is healing available because of his tribe that's why 2000 years ago he decided to go to Golgotha so that we today can find healing that heart that is bleeding can find healing that is home that has been torn apart and decimated can find healing. The pain that is too much to bear can find healing. By his stripes, we are healed. And today, I want to pray. I want to pray for families all over, those who are gathered listening to this word. And I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for deliverance. That as we move on to this rock that is higher, than you and I, as we move on to this rock that is Jesus, to this rock of ages that was cleft for us, uh, as we move on to him, we might find healing. We might find healing that we, we, we don't go home the same, that, 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 that our homes cannot remain as they are, that healing can reach our homes today so that wherever they've been frowning and, and, and bitter faces, that there can be smiles, there can be joy today, and then and, and, and we can shout and declare, Jesus did it, that Jesus stopped by and said, peace, be still. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity you've given us to share your word today. We just want to pause and give you all the glory and honor for the connections that you've done, made it possible for this word to be shared. And we just want to come to you to say, Lord, you know the transgressions that we have done. You know the iniquities that we've committed. You know that we lack peace. And that's why why you did this 2,000 years ago. Today, we are here gathered all over the world through these networks, and we are praying to say, Lord, those stripes were not in vain. Those stripes were for our healing. Healing for our families, healing for our marriages, healing for us as individuals. It was, they were for our healing. It was not in vain. And that's why today we are saying, Lord, heal us. Heal us. Heal us as your people. Heal our families. Heal our marriages. Heal us. Do it for the glory and honor of your name we pray. Amen. We want to thank Elder for this beautiful message on marriage. To have a successful marriage life, we must uh, allow Jesus to live in us. We have to walk with him. We have to talk with him in all our way. Let us sing, he lives, he lives.
Elder Mushudu, could you please offer the prayer? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the worship of today. We thank you for your words that you have shared with us. We pray that they might find fertile soil in our hearts so that we can live here to go and practice what you said to us and May you receive glory and honor for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, right. I'm extremely comfortable to take this uh, water. Thanks. As today, my heart is full of uh, <coughs> joy and gladness to see uh, all the singers and uh, profound sermon. And thank you so much. Uh, for the Lord who really set people aside uh, for his duty to be performed in order to 
glorify his name and to magnify this Sabbath. Uh, thank you, Elder Mushudu, for your uh, wonderful uh, presentation and full of meanings and transforming thoughts. God bless you and may the Lord continue to bless you. Uh, and we are very happy to have you. Uh, you didn't fail today. And we are waiting for your presentation even, even in this uh, afternoon at 3.30. I thank all the members, regular visitors and visitors today, along with the participants, and praise the Lord for all your commitments and responsibilities today. I praise the Lord for the praise and worship. I have to extend my special thanks on behalf of everybody to Nobut and Sunil who put the songs together so that many families can involve in the praise and worship. So praise the Lord for this. Of course, I can't deny that Brother Deeraj and Brother Anil and their team who really put everything together, spent time in it, editing and just checking if everything is legal and correct. So thank God for it. And uh, once again, uh, uh, we remind you that at 3.30, uh, we have uh, our presentation. It is a kind of interaction under the topic communication within the family. So let's come along after your delicious lunch um, in order to contribute your thoughts under this topic. God bless you. And let's uh, break out for our uh, uh, respective church fellowship for the next few minutes.